project imagined and realized by Iowa City resident Kristen Noonan. That's me. Hey, I locate my selections on the World Wide Web, and you can too. It's all free. So thank you kindly to the University of Northern Iowa's Rob Library, who have assembled a comprehensive Iowa historical newspaper index on their website. Digitization efforts for the newspapers have been completed by outside organizations. Libraries rule. It's another day and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to January 3rd on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Our first stop on this day in history will be in Burlington, Iowa, in the Burlington Hawkeye newspaper on January 3rd, 1850. I'm your host, Kristen Noonan. It's a pleasure to be your guide today. Let's roll. From California, the following letter was written by our late fellow citizen, Presley Dunlap Esquire, to Mr. William Garrett of this place. It is one of the most interesting letters we have seen from California, and it must be peculiarly so to our readers in this part of Iowa, on account of its very proper particularity in mentioning the names and whereabouts of so many who formerly resided in this vicinity. The announcement of the melancholy news of the death of Joshua Holland, who was well known as a valuable representative in Iowa legislature from this county, and of Lieutenant Beckett, who distinguished himself in the Mexican War, has thrown quite a gloom over the circles of the, their former associates. Through another channel, we have learned that young Kilborn is also dead. We tender our warmest sympathies to his bereaved parents in view of their great loss. In connection with the above, we would announce that William L. May Esquire of Peoria, and formerly a representative to Congress, from the Sangamon District in Illinois, also died at San Francisco shortly after his arrival. Sacramento City, Alta, California, October 15, 1849. Dear Garrett, your kind letter of July 1st was received by me a few days ago, and you may be assured that it was a source of much satisfaction Although it contained intelligence that to me was indeed melancholy, but still a satisfaction to know what was transpiring among my old acquaintances. You have doubtless heard through other channels than by me of the safe arrival of all the Burlington emigration in this valley. Therefore, I shall not give you any of the particulars of our journey across the plains. The Des Moines boys were all quite well, the last I heard from them but they are scattered over the gold diggings for a space of three or four hundred miles. Cregan, Charlie Miller, late Jake Leffler, Sturgis and Seidel are about 60 miles northeast of here on Yuba River, doing well. Henry Anderson has gone up Sacramento River and I have not heard from him. Jonathan Donald and his brother, whom he found here, are trading to the mines. Henry Weil is driving a team, and his father, Captain Weil, and T. Hutchinson, Moore, Erich, Burkhelder, Gordon, Hughes, and Jim Taylor have gone on the McColony, about 70 miles to the southeast of this. The Lidenmuths have spent most of their time here trading in cattle and mules and have done well. Ira G. Smith and family got here a week ago, all well. Oliver Cottle and party are on the Makosma, 80 miles from this. John S. David and Royal Cottle came down here last week and have bought a lot and are building a house. The Colonel, as everybody does here, works like a horse. D. Redding and Charlie Denmark have gone about 250 miles south to the mines on the Mariposa, a tributary of the San Joaquin River pronounced Sam Joaquin. I got here on the 17th August and the next day obtained a situation in, in a store, one of the best establishments in Upper California, 
at $300 per month and boarded, and boarded, where I continued until five days ago when I was appointed Sheriff of Sacramento City and District, in which, if it pays, I will continue for the winter. If not, I will quit and go at something. The fees are fair. We are allowed an ounce for serving a summons, $10 for a subpoena, $2 per mile for travel, and 10% on all collections. Ask Carpenter what he thinks of that fee bill. This place is situated two miles from Sutter's Fort and was laid off in February, and on yesterday, at a, char a charter election, there were 1,574 votes cast. I believe that at this time there are at least 6,000 people located in and about the city. This certainly is one of the prodigies of the 19th century. It has grown more than one half since I arrived here. We, for the most part, live like the good people of old, dwellers and sojourners in tents. A majority of the houses are a light temporary frame covered with duck, and in this mild climate it answers a good purpose. But the chief reason for building cloth houses is the scarcity and dearness of lumber. Good lumber is now, and has been all the season, $650 per 1,000 feet. Don't mistake the price, $650 per 1,000 chiefly brought from Oregon. Real estate, that is, lots in the business part of town, is enormously high, varying from $500 to $20,000. A bowling saloon with one room 18 by 25 feet rents at $1,500 per month and only a shell at that being weatherboarded and lined with domestic. I will cite you an instance of the faculties there have been of making money. The firm I have been doing business for commenced here in February last, with a capital of $15,000, and now they are worth at least $500,000. Their monthly rents are about $8,600 per month or $130,000 per year. They are closing up business and going to leave the country as soon as they sell their property. The Parker House in San Francisco rents for $140,000 per year and all other rents are in proportion. Common laborers receive from $5 to $16 per day, but the ordinary wages at this place is about $10 per day. Since my arrival, I have had a good opportunity of judging of the richness of the mines, and I find that all that glitters is not gold, or in other words, the best digging is by trade. But of the richness and extent of the mines, there is no question, but digging for gold is like mining in the lead region, a lottery. Some are making their six and eight ounces while the great mass of operators do not make over their half ounce to their ounce per day. Everything is here counted by ounces. It is certainly as hard work as can easily be scarred up, but any one that is hardy and can stand camping out the year round and living on coarse fare and will, and will work hard can rely on making from $2,000 to $3,000 clear. That is, if he keeps clear, the Mont Monte Bank, Bank. There are many miners who deposit their whole wages in these banks. Gaming is carried to a great extent in this place. Thousands upon thousands of dollars change hands every day. I have seen as high as 150 ounces bet on a single card. The gamblers are the only gaily dressed men in the country, but they lead a wretched life. They may have several thousand dollars today and tomorrow not one cent. One man in the course of less than an hour and a half at, the, at a game of poker lost $13,000, all he had won since he had been in the country. Such is a gambler's life in California. I had liked to have forgot our friend Jordan 
Moses has been working the mines, and I believe has done pretty well. He came to town yesterday and is very homesick. He and Charlie are well, as is John Farmer. I have not seen Arthur Sullivan since he came in, but here he is well and doing well. The Kaiser boys are well. John is in town at this time. Berryman Jennings, Simp White, and Mick Carver are all here. They are all doing well and are rich. Hannah, Jennings, and co. own two sh schooners and eight or ten houses that rent for large sums. Hannah is Adolphus Hannah, who used to be a boy around Augusta. Old Jeffers went home to Oregon since I came here with $12,000 in dust. Lamson has been here and has made money, but I cannot learn whether he has returned to Oregon or is somewhere in the mines. He has done well or had last spring when I last heard of him. John Holland lives at Sutter's Mills, has done well and has made two or three fortunes. Our friend Beckett, poor fellow, got here sometime in September, weak and worn down by fatigue and his old disease. After lingering about 10 days on the 22nd of September, at about 11 o'clock p.m., he expired without a struggle. On the next day, he was buried by his friends here and the transient members of IOOF and Masons. There being no lodges of either order in this place, of course they could only attend and show their respects for their deceased brother and fellow citizen. Each order formed separately, but did not go through any of the ceremonials having no authority to do so. It was the first and only funeral in this place when there has been any public demonstration of either orders and it has had a salutary effect. The IOOF cannot work, but they have formed an association which association relieves the sick that come to their knowledge. About a week ago, our friend Joshua Holland also died at the hospital in this city of the diarrhea after a sickness about 10 days. Jim Hobbs gotten here about two weeks ago and has gone with Captain Weil. He left George Heights at the head of Mary's River and came in afoot, a distance of about 500 miles. He says the Heights were near given out and will have a hard time to get through without some assistance. Since that time, Jennings and myself have made every inquiry as to what road they may have taken from the sink, there being three roads from that place to this. But as yet, we have not been able to learn. And as soon as we do, we will send some assistance in the way of horses and provisions, for they must be in a very destitute situation. They have not fallen in with the assistance sent out by General Smith, he having sent out to the relief of the immigrants over 500 pick horses and mules with provisions. The suffering of the emigrants in the latter end of the emigration has been very great. Henry Kilborn of Fort Madison is at Weaverville, about 50 miles from this place, very bad with the scurvy, as also is Mr. Hawhurst. Frank Brooks and his boys are on a bear on Bear River, 90 miles from here, all well. I heard from him yesterday. He has gone to winter there. He sent down for me to send him up his winter provisions. Kensels and Russell, Russell are still with him. Blair and Arch Rankin are in the dry diggings, 60 miles from here. I have only seen Milton Blair when he was down. They were doing well. Presley Dunlap. Our next stop is in Davenport, Iowa, in the Davenport Democrat newspaper on January 3rd, 1878. Women as Educators Address of Miss P. W. Sudlow before the State Teachers Association There was an unusually large attendance of teachers and other friends of education at the annual meeting of the State Teachers Association this week. A marked feature of the meeting this year 
was the inauguration as president of the association of Miss P.W. Sudlow, city superintendent of schools of this city. This being the first instance, we believe, in the history of the country where a woman has held such a position. Miss Sudlow became president of the association on Thursday when she delivered her inaugural address, which she was on the very appropriate topic which was on the very appropriate topic of women as educators. From the address, we take the following interesting passages. Said Miss Ludlow. Women as educators. As by your courtesy, I occupy a place in your association not before filled by a woman. It is not unfitting that I should devote some thought to women as educators. Women is now admitted to nearly all positions, laborious and remunerative, or complementary in the vast array of educational laborers. In many instances, she has had to contend for place against injustice and prejudice. In others, courtesy has given her more than she has asked, and the warmest support has been accorded her as she has tried new fields with shrinking courage but firm devotion to duty, making her success the vindication of her right. Often it has been her own unfitness from lack in educational attainment or in practical experience which has shut the door of opportunity against her. Sometimes she has asked for that which seemed unfit she should have. But not always she has she chosen so unwisely as might at first thought appear, for in struggling against odds she most need she must needs contend not for what she most desired, but for that which offered even a faint hope of attainment. She must force a recognition of her powers even at a present sacrifice. Such necessity of choice is happily passed for the women of our own noble state, and the responsibility rests upon us to measure up to the opportunities so fully accorded us. Shall we do it? Thus far, in some respects, the handwriting is against us. From the State Superintendent's Report of 1875 and 1876, we learn that of the men examined, a larger percent obtained professional certificates than of the women. A greater proportion of men than of women received first-class certificates, and a less number of the former were rejected. However, the average age of the men was four years greater than that of the women, thus showing that the deficiencies come from taking less time for preparation. I find from later statistics that about 70% of the state certificates issued are held by the lady teachers of the state. There are many noble exceptions, but as a rule, women, hitherto, hitherto, from lack of opportunity or from too eager desire for the gain of employment, possibly for want of proper conception of the work of teaching, has failed to take sufficient time for acquirement. The remuneration sought, however, has seldom been for selfish use, more often for the relief of some burdened one or to gain the preparation denied to self. Strange as it may seem, the master commended her who sat at his feet to enrich herself with divine wisdom forgetful for the time of what we might judge to have been duty to another. Women, in professional work, must learn to separate herself more from other seeming duties, to invest more as capital, to expect less in the present, and to provide more wisely for future usefulness and preferment. She must continue the work of preparation till her views shall be more comprehensive, and her professional aims and plans more far-reaching. She must be more eager to become than to have, must understand that being rather than doing is the better part, must 
tarry longer in the upbuilding and furnishing of a true and noble selfhood, not for self, but for service. Dr. Seguire says, the second higher glory of the American school is that it has more female teachers than any other nation. According to the last United States Census, 74% of all the teachers of our republic are women. In the circles from 80 to 90%, this may not, does not, indicate the same ratio of educational force in carrying forward educational enterprise as it shows in numbers, but it does show that the greater part of the details of instruction and consequently of its real effectiveness on individual mind is committed to the women of our profession, that they have most to go in the formation of moral character, social habits, an aesthetic taste, a grave responsibility, but a glorious privilege. So I wish an opportunity for good that we may well afford to forgo the position for position's sake. It is proper that man, with his greater opportunity for varied and extended observation, should occupy such places as call for the broadest generalizations and inductions from facts garnered from many and varied sources, and it is equally fitting that woman who is and is to be the conserving element in human society should in her field of labor keep where she can most sorely touch the springs of human action, where she can bring the highest, holiest attributes of humanity, the affections directed by a cultured intellect and a disciplined will to bear directly upon the development of character. This will not continue her to inferior position, but give her the choice places in the schoolroom of primary or advanced grade, in the charge of work in the academy, normal or high school, in the professor's chair of the college or the university, in all places demanding erudic erudition and culture, and that peculiar personal force that calls forth all that is best in the character of those with whom it comes in contact, and incites each to his highest possible endeavor. I have ever been at a loss to comprehend that undefined influence on the intellect and character of the pupil, claimed for the masculine mind as distinguished from that of the feminine. I cannot understand why equal attainments, equal culture, and equal strength of purpose and will should not have equal influence, whether in man or woman. Some logician with a smile is saying, but that is beginning the whole question. I leave him to make out his own syllogism and say that I do not believe that he claim that the claim is well founded and that my observations and the testimony of those of sounder judgment and wider experience than my own has strengthened this unbelief. May not the explanation of the alleged difference lie in the fact that the women with whom the comparisons have been made have not had equal culture and attainment? The means for the acquirement of these have still recently been denied to women. Strange as it may seem, she has been refused a share in educational opportunity, except in very limited measure and under embarrassing restrictions. And there are yet wise men of the East, who fear to let her too unrestrictedly drink of the fountains of truth and knowledge, lest she could corrupt the integrity of her pure womanliness, as though they could value more highly or care more for this than woman herself does. If ignorance is purity and blessing, let us, as others have done, rest the scriptures and quote to them from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. If a man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. The history of the education of the ancient world refers most exclusively to the men. 
A few favored exceptions shine forth here and there amid the almost universal gloom of female ignorance, and this condition still exists where Christianity has not penetrated. Sparta and Rome among the ancients might be quoted as somewhat exceptional, and Christianity for a long time confined her instruction to the family and convent, and the number of girls taught was much less than that of boys. The reformation of the 16th century ushered in a new era for women. Church and school regulations for the first time recognized the need of establishing schools for girls. Progress was at first slow, but a vital idea had found lodgment and would grow. Switzerland in 1864 opened the several departments of her university. Some of the higher institutions still maintain their exclusiveness, but many special provisions are made for the superior education of women for professional or general pursuits. Girls were not admitted to the Boston Grammar Schools till 1789. In 1828, this Morn Athens was debating the question of admitting her girls to her high school, and such a course of study was not provided for them till 1853. She still holds her Latin high school exclusively for her boys, as Harvard its university for men. The first educational institution founded in the United States for the higher education of women was in 1804, the first bearing the name of college in 1821, the first institution that took rank with the ordinary college for men in 1865. The city of New York had no public institution for the higher education of her girls till the reestablishment of the female normal college in 1870. Smith's College was the first instu institution exclusively for women to which the legislature of Massachusetts ever granted the privilege of conferring academic degrees. But in 1874, the United States Commissioner reports 200 and 14 institutions for the superior education of women, and 114 of those, these authorized by law to confer degrees. Besides these, there are mixed schools and colleges that rank among the best of each, that grant to women equal privileges with man. Many of you to whom I speak with, with myself cannot go back to enjoy these opportunities. We must labor on as best we can, bearing the burdens of our lack, but we can press their claims and advantages upon the young women who are soon to take our places. We can stimulate them to ask, not for positions and power, but to covet earnestly the best gifts, to make full preparation and then seek those places where they can most surely be a blessing to others, and at the same time secure to themselves the highest, noblest development of a pure womanhood, a womanhood gentle but effective. To wield influence is greater than to exert power. The forces that most bless and beautify are silent forces, irresistible and potent. The light breaks, but there is no sound. The sunshine has no song. The gentle rain brings most refreshing. In the still, small voice, God is heard. Thanking the association for the honor conferred upon me, I will now relieve your patient attention. May the rhythmic flow of speech, the flowers of poesy, and the king kindlings of imagination, so wanting in this matter of fact presentation, ripple and blossom in your pathways and illuminate your lives. Poetry finds loftiest expression in consecrated human life, pure and noble in itself, and devoted to highest use, and there is no eloquence so thrilling and inspiring as the eloquence of heroic human action. 
Miss Sudlow was listened to with closest attention and received loud and hearty applause. Our next stop is in the Davenport Daily Republican newspaper on January 3, 1904. Victim of Holocaust Rock Island woman among hundreds who perished in Iroquois is identified by her shoes. Mrs. E. C. Hart of 1010 21st Street, body not found until Thursday night. Mrs. E. C. Hart, 1010 21st Street, Rock Island, who lost her life in the Iroquois Theater Fighter in Chicago, will be buried this morning at 10 o'clock from the home of her father, John English, at Atkinson's, Illinois. The telegrams that came to the husband Thursday were misleading. One read that Mrs. Hart was at the home hospital, but what it but what it was meant to convey was that she was at some hospital, as she was numbered with the missing. The information was sent by John Giles, a cousin of Mrs. Hart, in the hope that she would be found alive during the day. The body was not located until 9 o'clock Thursday night. Mr. Hart was accompanied to Chicago by County Clerk H.B. Hubbard, his friend and neighbor. We arrived in Chicago at 5.30 in the afternoon, said Mr. Hubbard yesterday. Mr. Hart was prostrated when he learned the worst. We prevailed upon him to stay at a hotel while English, Mrs. Hart's father, and myself took up the search that anxious relatives had been pursuing without success since the afternoon of the fire. At nine o'clock we discovered Mrs. Hart's body in Sheldon's morgue. She was beyond recognition, and the only means of identifying her was her shoes, she having purchased a new pair here the day before her departure for Chicago. The clothing was burned from the body down to the waist. Two other men were standing before the body, and one of them had about made up his mind that it was that of his missing wife. I was positive, however, that it was Mrs. Hart, and at my request, an officer removed her shoes. The one on the left foot had no identification marks, but on the one on the right foot appeared the name of Dolly Brothers, Rock Island. Mr. English also identified the over-gators, having placed them on his daughter's feet when she left the home of her cousin. Dr. Fred Smith for the theater Wednesday afternoon. The jewelry had been removed from the body. We afterwards secured it, but it was so badly charred that it would have been impossible to identify the body by it. Mrs. Hart went to the theater with her cousin, Mrs. Fred Smith, and the latter's daughter, Maureen Smith. Mother and daughter perished also. Their bodies were found in two different morgues in part of the city remote from where Mrs. Hart's remains were located. Dr. Smith had bought three scats for the matinee in the second gallery, including to go with his wife and the daughter, intending to go with his wife and daughter. After securing the scats, they were surprised to have Mrs. Hart and her father drop in on them for a visit. Our next stop is in Clinton, Iowa, in the Clinton Advertiser newspaper on January 3, 1918. Twin Beds is funniest play of the decade. Seats for the Twin Beds engagement at the Clinton Theater tomorrow, Friday, January 4th, are now selling and as scarcely anything, but Twin Beds is being talked about in local circles just now. The chances are there won't be even won't be even standing room when this screamingly funny play comes to town. One of the elements of twin beds which makes it such a success is the hardiness with which it is presented by the excellent company provided by Selwyn and Company. It sponsors laughter is never forced and is never courted by an approach to vulgarity. The players seem to enter completely to the fun of the thing and to enjoy it as much as the audience. Their spirit is unflagging and their 
perception of the possibilities of every situation complete. A highly efficient company of fun makers has been gathered together for this production, which includes such sterling favor favorites as Josephine Saxton, Antoinette Rocked, Catherine Mills, Marion Osgood, Hamilton Mott, Louise Alburn, Alberni, Thomas H. Manning, Warren Hastings, and others. Fuel Expert Here Monday Clinton will start a fuel-saving campaign next week. The Clinton Commercial Club has arranged with the State Fuel Administrator and Iowa State College to assist this community in a fuel conservation program beginning Monday, January 7th. A part of this campaign will be the inspection of, inspection of plants and instruction of firemen in best methods of handling coal. Under the direction of R.H. Holbrook of Cedar Rapids, State Deputy of the National Association of Stationary Engineers, a force of men will inspect the furnaces and heating plants of manufacturing concerns, schools, power plants, apartment houses, factories, etc., where the service is desired. These men, who are leading stationary engineers of Iowa, will investigate the heating plants to determine whether combustion and heating is being carried on in the best possible way. In places where it is not, instructions will be given as to just what can be done in the way that will best conserve fuel. Shars containing fire firing direction will be posted in the furnace rooms of the concerns examined. This service is available without charge to anyone desirous of having the same call. Call up the Clinton Commercial Club to be sure that your plant is visited. Paintings by Reverend A. H. Lutz are exhibited. Clinton shoppers and others who have been downtown during the holiday weeks were given an opportunity to see two beautiful specimens of oil paintings executed by Reverend A. H. Lutz, the pastor of the Zion Lutheran Church of this city. The paintings were exhibited in the show windows of the Tao and Hype store. One of the paintings is a recent work by Reverend Lutz, and it shows a scene in Venice. Clintonians who have visited the city of Venice and who have seen the painting declare that it is an exceptionally good representation of a canal scene in Venice, being true to the scene. The other pictures shown depicts the scriptural account of the Good Samaritan. This is a painting which Reverend Lutz executed about four years ago, shortly before coming to Clinton, but the Venice painting is a recent work. And now from the Clinton Advertiser Newspapers, January 3rd, 1927 issue. Labor in Iowa in 1927 will be increased. Highways to be built as well as public works. Survey optimistic. Industrial, agricultural, and general employment prospects for 1927 issued by the government and based on information received from federal state directors of the United States Employment Service show Iowa will have a bigger demand for skilled labor in 1927 than it had in 1926. The outlook for Illinois is also considered satisfactory, although manufacturers of farm implements say their output will not be as great next year. The survey, which is extended to all the states, says of Iowa, the year 1927 will probably show an increase in the demand for skilled labor over that existing during 1926. There is every indication that industrial plant activity will be maintained on a basis sufficiently large to absorb the resident supply of skilled industrial labor. From present indications, the volume of public building will slightly exceed that maintained during 1926. The demand for skilled building tradesmen will likewise show an increase. Four million more for roads. 
The State Highway Commission will have approximately $4 million more for the 1927 road construction program than it had in 1926. This will mean the employment of a great many more workers when compared with the number employed last year. It is also believed that other public improvements municipalities of the state will show an increase of about 25%. An unsettled condition exists in the agricultural districts, and there is no indication of any variation in the planting acreage over that of 1926. Until some improvement occurs in farming, there will be a trend from rural to urban population, swelling the number of unskilled laborers in the city. However, with the large volume of road building and municipal improvements planned for 1927, resident unskilled workers should have little difficulty in securing employment. Classified advertisements to the advertiser. Household goods for sale. For sale, household goods. Must sell at once. Mrs. Stella Pringle, 625 North 4th Street, Lyons, Automatic. For sale, stoves and furniture of all kinds, mirrors, resilvered, Hawkeye sales room, 185th Ave. For sale, dining table, $12, parlor set, $10, dresser, $8, and heater, $15. Porch swing, $2, chairs, rug, etc., 117 Fayette Street. For sale, National Cash Register, Ice Cream Tables, Mahogany Chairs, and Wire Chairs, also others. Dressers, Buffet, Cupboards, Smears, Up, Oven Gas Ranges, Stoves, and Furniture of All Kinds, Come and See, 135th Avenue. Radios and Supplies Supertone 5 Tube Radio is made in the laboratories of a nationally known firm of radio engineers who have had years of experience in the making of good, reliable sets. Each chassis is carefully inspected and tested and is guaranteed for tone and good reception. Priced from $35 to $73.50. J.A. Kelly Bell. Poultry and Supplies Full-Blood Imperial Ringlets Barred Rock Cockerels R.L. Baldwin DeWitt Iowa. Choice Dark RCRI Red Cockerels, also few SCRI Reds, Adolph Week, Grand Mound, Iowa. RC Red Roosters, Henry Schnepple, McCallsland, Iowa, DeWitt. Large Red RC and SCRI Red Cockerels, S.C. McCullough, DeWitt, Iowa. Livestock. For sale. Purebred spotted Poland China gilts bred for March Farrow, Green Brothers, Grand Mound, Iowa. For sale. Spotted Poland China bred sows C.H. Wack, DeWitt, Iowa. For sale. One Duroc stock hog, William Bauer, Tri-City. For sale. One Duroc stock hog, William Bauer, Tri-City. Dogs, Cats, and Pets. For sale, Boston Bull Pups, 510th Avenue. Call after 6 p.m. Miscellaneous for sale. For sale, uncalled for rugs, new and used, at cost for labor. Clinton Rug Company, 405 North 2nd Street. For sale, used gas stoves in A1 condition. Price is right. Ask for Mr. Goffett. For sale cheap. Man's fur coat. 30 gallon jar. Blacksmith's buys. Charles Henson, 302 South 5th Street, Lyons. For sale oak and hickory in stove lengths. B.H. Manaman. Miscellaneous wanted. Wanted. Merchants envelope printing. Excellent grade, dollars $1,000, $3.25, $5,013, $10,025. Cash prepaid. Acme Mail Order Press, Dixon, Illinois. References. Any Dixon Bank.
automobiles for sale. For sale, cheap one-ton Ford truck with ship, with good box and good running order. O.S. Dorsey, 1303 Exchange Street, Lyons. Automobiles wanted. Wanted. Cars to wreck for used parts. Clinton Auto Wrecking Co., 120 North 2nd Street. Rooms for rent. For rent. Three furnished light housekeeping rooms, 543 3rd Avenue. For rent. Two strictly modern, well furnished light housekeeping rooms, 514 6th Avenue. For rent. Two furnished rooms for light housekeeping, all modern, 328th Avenue. Help wanted. Mail. Wanted farmer or farmer's son or man to travel in country. Ready work, good profits. McConson & Co. Department, Winona, Minnesota. Help wanted, female, wanted. Girl to wait on tables. Chop Suey Cafe, 414 South 2nd Street. Ladies who can do plain sewing at home and want profitable part-time work. Right to Diapolis Dress Company, Amsterdam, Dam, New York. Wanted, Women for General Housework, Mrs. Sam Holstein, 4 7th Avenue. Agents or salesmen. Salesmen wanted to solicit orders for Northern Grown Guaranteed Nursery Stock, New Methods, Year Around Work, Commissions Weekly, Complete Selling Outfit, Largest Nursery in the Northwest, Right. Clinton Falls Nursery Co., Awatana, Minnesota. Agents needed to sell chocolate bars, mints, and gum. Large benefits, finest quality. Free sample, Gordon Candy, 1422 Vine Street, Cincinnati. Wanted, men to sell monuments in Clinton, Jackson counties for oldest in Tri-Cities. Good proposition for the right man. Iglehart Memorial Service Co., 1409 Marquette Street, Davenport, Iowa. Houses for rent. For rent. New five-room bungalow, all modern at 120 North 5th Street, Clinton, with two-car garage. Inquire at 1329 Bluff Boulevard. For rent. Reasonable five-room house, 311 12th Avenue. Inquire of Thomas Cullen, 502 18th Ave. For rent, new modern home, 536 2nd Avenue. For rent, six room house, gas, water, electric light. Apply at 329 DeWitt Street. Apartments for rent. For rent, modern heated three room apartments on Caroline. For rent, four-room furnished apartment, private bath, 300 2nd Avenue. Wanted to rent. Wanted to buy, small acreage place near Clinton. Describe how to reach same state price and whether you will consider trade of city duplex. Write 206, care advertiser. Farm machinery, one great western manure spreader, two Emerson riding plows, 16 inch with breaker attached, two 8 foot P&O discs, three drags, one 16 foot wood drag, one four section drag, new, one four section iron drag, one John Deere corn planter, new, one 11 foot cedar, new, one drag cart, new, four corn plows, one 6 foot McCormick binder, Two row corn stalk cutter, one McCormick Deering side delivery, new, one international gearless hay loader, one Deering mower, new, one 11 foot colt packer, new, one McCormick tedder, one potato plow, new, one 14 inch walking plow, one single shovel potato plow, John Deere wagon, triple box, two truck wagons, one seated. One two-seated Surrey, one top buggy, one two-seated spring wagon, one cart, one bobsled, two hay racks, one set dump boards, two wagon boxes, 
five set of double harness, one saddle, one set of single harness, two international feed grinders, one eight inch, one 10 inch new, one two hold corn chopper, one fanning mill, sacker attached, one grindstone, one gasoline tank, one kerosene tank, one Iowa cream separator, one power washing machine, one small gas engine, one sanitary churn, 10 gallons, two tank heaters, one pump jack, one block and tackle, two scoop boards, one barrel spray pump, one sausage stuffer, one vise, one woven wire stretcher, four inch individual hog houses, six by six by 12, one dozen galvanized chicken coops, two portable corn cribs, three feed troughs, hog troughs, one swill cart, 10 bur oak wagon tongues, a quantity of hardwood lumber, many other articles too numerous to mention. Public sale. Having sold a part of my farm, I will sell at public auction on the premises three and one half miles southwest east of DeWitt, Iowa. On Wednesday, January 5th, the following described property. Lunch at 12, sale starts at 1.30. Nine head of horses. One sorrel mare, 11 years old, weighing 1,500 pounds. One black gelding, six years old, weighing 1,600 pounds. One gray mare, 10 years old, weighing 1,400. One team gray gelding, six years old, weighing 2,800 pounds. One bay mare, 12 years old, weighing 1,300 pounds. One black gelding, six years old, weighing 1,400 pounds. One team draft horses, bay and gray, 10 and 11 years old, weighing 3,200 pounds. 20 head of cattle. Seven head long yearling heifers, seven head long yearling steers, six head milch cows, some fresh soon, others fresh. Ten head brood sows bread, one Poland china stock hog. Farm machinery and miscellaneous articles, eight foot Rock Island disc, 12 inch P&O gang plow, 11 foot moline cedar, P&O corn plow, international eight horsepower gas engine, 8-inch feed grinder, self-feeder, 750 bushels, new corn and crib. Terms, all sums of $10 and under cash. On all sums over $10, six months time will be given on bankable notes bearing 7% interest from date. All goods must be settled for before, before removed from premises. John W. Welch, E.E. E. Kruko Auctioneer, Paul Stigmund, Clerk. That's it for January 3rd on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Thanks for tuning in.